What's up, everybody? Tara Wellman here. And is it just me, or did Marcelo Zuna flip the switch at just the right time to welcome his former team to St. Louis? That's right, the rebuilding Marlins come to town this week for a three-game set. And let's face it, the Cardinals should easily have the upper hand. But it's baseball. Things don't always work out like they should. And with the Marlins coming to town, who better to join me in previewing this series than the illustrious, beloved, adopted St. Louisan himself from Sirius XM Fantasy Radio, it's Craig Mish. So Craig, first of all, thank you for joining me. If there was a jersey that people could buy for their favorite reporters, I think you would easily be the highest selling Cardinals jersey. The fans love you. So thank you very much for joining me today. (laughs) No problem. I appreciate all the support for sure. It's been really overwhelming. I've talked about it on social media. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm here. Anything that I could do to enlighten people as to what I know regarding the Cardinals or baseball in general, I'm happy to do it. Thanks for having me, Tara. So first of all, before we talk about this series specifically, how did this all happen that you kind of became one of the, I don't know, most trusted voices in in Cardinals news? Obviously, the Cardinals are there for spring training. You were part of uh, all of the offseason drama between the Cardinals and the Marlins. But when did you kind of become this insider for, for the St. Louis Cardinals? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny how how it all happened. I think uh, there was there were a couple of stories in the past that I had broken regarding the Cardinals. Uh, one a long time ago about a hotel incident that they had had, um, which we can tell a story if we have time later. But and then the other one was was kind of following Alex Reyes's career, and I think that's where it initially started. And you're right, being at spring training where the Marlins train the Cardinals are there too. So I've had a lot of access through the years to that. And I think that's where it got started. But then you're right with the off season happening. And, um, and I, and I think really the first thing was last July when I was the first one to report that the two teams that had shown the most interest in Stanton around the trade deadline were the Cardinals and the giants. And I think that's what really got the ball rolling at that point. And then the fact that we went into the off season where there was a legitimate chance of that deal happening uh, on the side of the Cardinals, I think the fans all kind of flocked to see what I was going to say next, and they had me on these notifications and all that. It was pretty wild. And then I think what put it over the top a little bit, maybe for the fans, was the idea that because of all of the years that I follow baseball and I follow all the teams, including the Cardinals, and especially in Jupiter, it just didn't make sense to me that Stanton wouldn't accept a deal to a place where I thought the fans were incredible and he could have been a legend to. And I think that's what really brought in a lot of the fans at that point. Um, And then even though that deal didn't go down, I did break the trade of the Marcelo Zuna. So that was another one that ended up happening. And I have a lot of background with that, with him, uh, you know, playing for the Marlins for so many years. But uh, now I'm at the point where I've been so supported that I figure, you know, they've been so supportive of me. So let me continue that ball rolling, and, and I'm going to try to as much as I can. It's kind of hard not being in St. Louis, but I certainly do have enough connections on the inside there that I'm at least able to provide some information and hopefully some context. Yeah, well, I, I do think that um, the the commentary on the uh, 
potential for a Giancarlo Stanton trade. There was so little information that was available for such a long time that I think fans really gravitated toward any little hint about what may or may not be happening. And then, as you said, you you were able to break the story on the Ozuna trade. I feel like there's probably quite a rush as well as some anxiety involved in being the one to break a story, especially one as significant as that. How long did you know or how long did you kind of debate whether or not to go ahead with this information you had about Ozuna? Yeah, that's a great question. And even on on the Stanton trade, when uh, I had the information of the four teams that he would accept a deal to, I had been sitting on that information for a couple of days and that was really powerful because of the teams that he had listed were all just the best teams in baseball. And I had consulted with people and I had gotten, no, you're wrong and maybe you're right. But it, but the information was solid. And then finally, at midnight one night, I put it out and it just completely blew up. As far as Ozuna is concerned, I, I think it was pretty obvious to a lot of people that the Cardinals were in play for him. And that thing really went down to it was they were pushing and pushing and pushing toward a deal. And um, I I found out about the trade, and within 30 seconds um, of, of knowing that it actually happened, I put it out. There was no waiting on that. But yeah, there's terror. There's nervousness for sure. Like I, I mean, like wondering, boy, if I hit this button right now and I'm wrong, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And and that's it is. There's a rush to it. There's a lot of general to it. It's a lot of fun too. But now that the off season has gone. Uh, and with the little stories I've broken in the past, and I've broken a lot of Marlin stories in the past, I'm more calm about it now. I think I'm more even keeled with it. And even though it could be a big story, I don't have that nervousness just because I knew at that time, as you said, there were a lot of people who told me that they had me on the notifications on Twitter where anything that I would say, they would, it would pop up on their phone. That's too much pressure. I don't ever want to have that knowing that I can't even say just like, hey, how's it going? Because everyone's like, oh, what do, what do you mean, how's it going? We want to know how's it going. So What are you talking about? What's time. the subtext to your tweet? How's it going? What does it mean? Oh, it was crazy. <laughs> I told people, please, just I'll, I'll, I'll continue to do everything, but just please take me off that. That's just, wait, that's, I don't have anyone on notifications at all on my phone. I never have, I never will. It's too much pressure to put on somebody. Yeah, it is a lot of pressure to know, I think for anyone, just that m- moments after a bit of information is is shared, it can it can be everywhere. Um, and it certainly was like that over the offseason. Now, as far as the Ozuna trade, for the Cardinals and fans watching, it hasn't been great most of the, the year so far, the first couple of months of the season. Ozuna has struggled to really put it together. Um, over at Birds on the Black, Zach Gifford has been writing about this for a couple of weeks now, that his stance has been very different. He's been, the, the toe tap has been different, trying to figure out any one of these little pieces that, that might be the key for him. And then in, in this weekend series, we saw a lot more of the Ozuna of 2017 as you've watched him, as familiar as you are with what he did with the Marlins uh, and what hasn't translated to St. Louis, are you surprised that it's taken him this long to sort of get settled? A little bit. And, and this is the kind of hard part about covering baseball, as you know, Tara, is that the month of April is such a poor indicator as to the performance of a player. And so when this was going on, and again, I'm following it very closely, but is it really necessary for anyone to be commenting on any player in the month of April? It's really hard to, because you don't know that that's going to be an indicator for the rest of the season. So what I tend to do in those situations, and especially when it came to Ozuna is I honestly was not paying that close attention to whatever he was doing in April. Cause I just figured, ah, you know, it's April at the end of the month. 
So then from my aspect in terms of reporting the story and trying to find out was in May. That's when, you know, the last few weeks I've been starting to ask some questions, what it possibly could be. Um, and I was told a number of different things. Um, unfortunately, when he slept in that day, uh, that was something that I actually knew at the time. And I was and and at the you know, you, you have to trust your sources. And when your sources tell you at the time, it's not something that, that you can report. You, you can't. Uh, but I did know at that time. Um, and that's when I really started to ask legitimate questions like, OK, uh, you know, he's not hitting. He overslept one day. He doesn't look right. What's the deal? So I was told and I put it out there on Twitter uh, about this stance. And obviously, you know, the people who are very intelligent with this and have followed on TV and your and your site as well have pointed that out. He has looked different. I think that's definitely part of it. I also think that no matter what anybody says, the comfort level for him going to St. Louis uh, it was there in Jupiter for sure, because all he had to do was basically go over to a different clubhouse an hour away. But then when it came to the regular season, I don't think that it was there. I think that it was a big transition for him. He had been with one organization his entire life. Uh, I also know that behind the scenes, uh, as we got into late May, uh, there were people who were in his ear at that point saying, hey, you know, what, what can we do? What is the issue? Let's talk about it. And so both from a mental and physical aspect, I think he had to change things around. And then what I think a lot of people don't know, and you'll be the first person that I tell this to, is that his family uh, has gone from Miami to St. Louis now. This weekend was the first time they were there. So that's a really big deal for him because he's very close with his family. And I don't think there's any coincidence that that played into uh, part of the result. I don't know that people find that interesting on Twitter, which is why I didn't really uh, say anything about it. But that, that that's something that uh, people wouldn't know unless you were you know new behind the scenes. Um, and I think that that may play a factor also, comfort level for him, too. So a, a number of different things that you're absolutely right. It didn't go right for him in the month of April and into the month of May. But I've always said I fully expect him to be close to what he was, at least in the past. Well, he definitely was that the the blockbuster for the Cardinals. Once once Stanton was off the table, Ozuna seemed to be the guy that they were all in on and, and the guy that they were hoping would be the key to their offense. Now, another story that you mentioned you've been following that has the potential to be as significant is that of Alex Reyes. Now, of course, everyone was very interested in his rehab starts. I saw him live. You've seen him. Other people have seen him over the course of that four starts or so. Um, then the one start with St. Louis and everything goes back downhill again. Is there more of a, a just demoralizing story than that of Alex Reyes so far? Uh, you know, no. And if the Cardinals were seven games under 500 as opposed to seven games over, I think there'd be a lot more focus on this. But the truth is, is, is we've seen even with Gomber being called up to the big leagues and pitching well, and uh, Dakota Hudson in the minor leagues, it's it's kind of like a next man up type of thing. So while I think Cardinals fans are probably upset about Reyes, they look at the standings and they say, well, you know, I mean, we'll come back, you know, he'll be okay eventually. And uh, But from his perspective and internally with his camp, it is a bad situation right now. Um, you know, Wednesday, I, I had heard on MLB Network Radio, and, and I'll just pass along what I heard because I don't really have anything new on it, that there would be a second opinion. Usually when you get a second opinion, it means that the first one wasn't very favorable. You don't do that to, to get a, uh, a worse opinion. You do it you know, to get a better one. Um, 
So we'll have to hope for the best there. Is this going to be a lost season for him? It certainly appears that there's a chance of that right now. I hate to say that, but it, it, it's that chance. And then we have to kind of dive in and find out some more information has come out, maybe potentially that he had uh, a little issue in his last rehab start that maybe he didn't say anything about. I haven't been able to confirm that yet. That's coming from the Cardinals at this point. And when you take them at face value, then that's that's what happened. Uh, but very little uh, information and talk has come out of that camp right now. And I think the reason why is because it's just a super depressing situation. And my guess is Wednesday, without speculating that, you know, there, you know, maybe, maybe there's more bad news to come. I hope not, but it, it certainly is trending at least that way. Just such a, a blow to a kid who spent so much time and did all the work and, and really had transformed himself as an athlete, as a professional and, uh, gotten himself into a position to be that pitcher that everyone expected he had the potential to be. You mentioned that maybe there was an issue in his last rehab start. He didn't bring that up. That always, to me, is just the the hardest part for a training staff, for a coaching staff, to try to gauge uh, someone's health when, you know, it, they're kind of at the mercy of what these athletes actually tell them about what is or isn't normal. And then at the same time, you know, for Alex... Maybe he didn't think it was a big deal. Maybe it wasn't significant enough that that he would say something. That's just that's the hardest part about trying to finely tune these athletes and and push them to physical limitations without pushing a little too far. I think is just their own understanding of what too far actually feels like. Yeah, and I think that in his spot, it, it, we could never put ourselves in that position. He hadn't pitched in a major league game in twenty months. Um, you know, it, listen, hindsight is very easy on this one to say, uh, you know, Alex, why didn't you say something? Like, it's very easy for us to say that. Or even when he was on the mound and they went to the mound and asked him how he was, it would have been very easy for him to say, uh, yeah, something's going on. But we can't ever be put in that position to uh, to know how a player feels. The, the, the really strict ramification that, that what I think is going to happen from this, regardless of what the outcome ends up being, and I do think at some point he is going to be a star in this league, I just don't know when, is that if you thought that they were careful with him before all this, you have no idea what we're about to see now. Like, they are going to be super careful with him. Um, will he pitch this year or not? I don't even know because I don't know the extent of the injury. But I'm, I am sad. I saw him pitch in person in one of the rehab starts. I know you did, too, in Peoria. Uh, other than Steven Strasburg coming through the minors, I don't ever remember a hype for a player like this in terms of a pitcher. I mean, we're talking about almost 10 years. So uh, hope for the best. And my guess is, is that 2019, we'll see him back and see him part of the rotation. And from an optimistic point of view, maybe the second opinion isn't bad. And maybe we see him in uh, August. Or, or in September helping this team, but I can't imagine the team being anything but super careful with him moving forward. They're going to have to be. Which I can only imagine is going to be so frustrating for Alex after all, all the work that he's put in to get this far. But that's, you know, for his own good long term, I think, um, at the end of the day. Now, we should probably talk a little bit about the Marlins coming into this series. Um now, Miami obviously in this rebuild process, which is always a bit of a tough sell to fans. I think coming on the heels of the ownership change, on some of the decisions at, as it pertained to those trades, not a lot of goodwill as far as no. the fans <laughs> are concerned in Miami. Has there been anything 
that has changed that, that has improved public perception at this point, or are people still a little bit hesitant to buy into Derek Jeter and company and what's happening in Miami? Well, it, it's really hard at this point because the record is has gone so south on this road trip and their performances in particular on this past road trip has gone so south that all of those negative feelings are, are coming back again. Um, I, I think that there is definitely a better direction. I think there's definitely better purpose. I think there's a more clear understanding as where the franchise is going to go based on where it has been. Uh, the only basic uh, excuse or the only uh, narrative that I've played that I've tried to explain to Marlins fans uh, with, with this new organization is that anything that Derek Jeter and his group have done has been in a very short period of time. They didn't take over the team until October, which means they didn't really get started until November. And you can't expect a franchise transformation when you're just three months away from reporting from spring training. So from my perspective, in terms of the off the field, will they have fans? Will this be a better experience? That's something that I'm going to particularly judge after this year going into next year. I don't know that I'm ready to just call it a disaster based on this one year. I think they wanted to take over the team, get in there, and just get things going and and hope for the best and then really focus on the following year. But Tara, in terms of the performance, I think that I picked them to win 68 games. Uh, right now they're on pace to uh, to not win 68 and, and to uh, win less than that. And to be honest, uh, the, the trades that they've made so far, and it's very early, at least from an initial point of view, do not look favorable. And they were under no pressure to trade Christian Yelich, and they chose to, to get players back in return who to this point, and again, very early, haven't looked great. Uh, Lewis Brinson was the main player they acquired in that deal. And it is very rare for a player uh, not only to be in the big leagues batting 150 for an entire season, but Tara, to go from 150 to a superstar player, you don't see that a lot. And so I don't even know what's going to happen with him in the future. And, and he's been uh, you know, a good soldier for them, and he said all the right things. But the truth is, on the field, it hasn't, it hasn't been there. And I think that the success or failure, at least temporarily right now, is being pointed at that trade for Christian Yelich because the uh, Stanton trade was more of a money deal. And Ozuna, you know, the jury is still out. They have the kids in the minor leagues. But Yelich was, was not a trade they had to make, and they did. And if that doesn't work out, that is going to be uh, a problem for them. But they have the drafts coming up here, and that will be significant, and we'll see what they do in the offseason. But I can't really judge anything, Tara, until a year or two from now. It's going to be impossible. It's so tough when you're trading, uh, you know, established major league talent for the future of these kids that come up. And and in many cases, they're playing at the major league level before they really should be. Um, I heard Mattingly talking about Brinson, uh, a lot of questions fired at him about whether or not yeah. a minor league stint would be beneficial. Um, and and he, he was deflecting as, as one would. Um, he's had a lot of years in a role where he's, his job is to protect his players, but it's gotta be frustrating when you know that the product on the field as a manager there's only so much you can do. And when the guys that you got in return for those major league established players aren't really living up to those expectations, it's it's got to be frustrating from Mattingly's perspective to tr- sort of figure out what buttons to push to get somewhere in a season that isn't really designed to be that successful. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that this decision isn't his. I think that this is coming from above him. 
where the team has decided their president of baseball operations, Mike Hill, uh, maybe even Derek Jeter, maybe they've decided, hey, look, this is the future of the franchise and we'd prefer him to go through his lumps at the major league level because he succeeded at every level in the minor leagues. And that's definitely true. But how long can you allow this to go on uh, even at the major league level when statistically speaking, there's only one player in all of the major leagues who's been worse offensively than Brinson. Um, and I think that there is a stat over the, like the last 100 years he's ranking at the bottom in terms of offensive statistics based on the plate appearances he's had. I, you know, I, I think that does beg the question at some point if a minor league assignment, at least temporarily, would help. Uh, there's been a couple of times where I thought that they would send him down and he's basically rescued himself. He hit a grand slam. He hit a home run. And I think that bought him a little bit more time. But then Sunday's game, uh, two big uh, mental errors in the uh, in the outfield. I don't think that would have cost him the game, but it did happen. It's it's just um, it, it's it's difficult to to think that that Brinson can go from seeing what we've seen to being a superstar. Stranger things have happened, but now all of a sudden we're going to start shifting from okay, well if this guy isn't that good, what about the rest of the guys that they got in the deal and the players that they have in the minors? It's really hard to judge at this point. But again, when you are trading a potential all star in Christian Yelich, who I was fine with them dealing also and getting players back in return, but you have to hit on that deal. You cannot fail in that spot. And, um, you know, a year from now, I just don't know where we're going to be with that trade. I know Milwaukee loves it, that's for sure. Yeah, they are definitely making the most of uh, the opportunity they had to go out and get Yelich. I think a lot of Cardinals fans. Um, had targeted Yelich over Ozuna as far as his on-field production. And so far, <laughs> that's worked out for uh, for Milwaukee. Uh, we'll see if Ozuna can sort of turn things around. You mentioned some of those other kids, though, in the minor leagues, one of them being Sandy Alcantara, who was uh, probably the centerpiece of the trade for the Cardinals. Not really... Uh, sh- the, the Marlins haven't really shown any interest in moving him to the major league level at this yeah. point. Is there a good reason for that? Are they just trying to wait and see if if he's consistent in the success that he has at AAA, or uh, is there does there seem to be some other reason that he's kind of stuck there at the moment? Yeah, I really don't have a lot of good answers for it. I mean, I've I've heard some maybe potential discussion of just some fundamental things uh, picking up on. I, I certainly know that it's not performance. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to look at it because on a scale of one to 10, has Sandy been a 10 in the minors? No. Has he been a nine? Probably not. But he has definitely shown that he is ready at this point to go to the big league level. Maybe the situation would be different if he was on a team that was headed to the postseason. You could just keep him in the minor leagues for the entire season, let him work on that. But he's gone very deep into games. He's uh, you know, giving up one earned run, two earned runs, he's not walking guys anymore. That was his main issue in terms of service time and pay. Uh, you know, that, that's gone. I mean, they certainly could call him up. And it's crazily enough, they've, they've basically decided to go with a kid who they got in the Rule 5 draft from Houston, a kid named Eliezer Hernandez. I think he'll pitch against the Cardinals maybe on Thursday. Uh, they've chosen him to stick in the rotation over Sandy at this point. So I understand when people say there's no rush. But, Tara, this also goes back to the Brewers' trade. Like, you, Lewis Brinson was the player you acquired in the deal, and so far, let's be honest, he has not performed. Why not bring up one of the other kids that you got in the deal to show the fans this new regime? We know what we're doing. We, we've, done, we've made a good trade here. We present to you uh, Exhibit B. Exhibit A, well, maybe not so good. Here's Exhibit B, Sandy Alcantara. 
he's definitely better than at least two pitchers in that rotation. So, Tara, I don't know the answer. I don't know why he's still sitting in the minor leagues, but I certainly hope he's up this month. They've waited long enough. There's no reason in June for him not to be in the big leagues. None. It seems like if for no other reason than to generate a little excitement, right, you can bring up one of these kids. We saw the Cardinals actually do that with Alex Reyes when he first made his Major League debut. Things were not going particularly well for the Cardinals at the time. You bring a guy like Alex Reyes up, give him a chance to start. Not only does it give you a look at, at this potential that you have within this, the organization, but all of a sudden the fans are interested again. They're they're excited to see if this is really going to translate into the potential superstardom. Now, I don't know that Alcantara is quite at that level as far as the expectations for him at this point. Um, but, you know, when you're trying to generate some uh, some goodwill with your fan base that has been pretty disillusioned over the last several years, um, it can't hurt to uh, to give them a little bit of something to be interested in, I, I, I would say, especially when you look at, as you mentioned, the starters that are in that rotation right now. Uh, Hernandez is slotted to pitch against the Cardinals. They'll also see Wei-Yin Chen. They'll also see Jose Urania, none of which are pitching particularly well as starters for the Miami Marlins right now. Yeah, Arrhenia hasn't had a lot of run support, uh, but he hasn't been great, no doubt about it. But the other the other two pitchers you've mentioned, uh, Alcantara will have a far better career regardless of those two pitchers. I'm certain of that. And, and, and to your point, you know, in April, I would counter back with you and say, what's the rush? They're going to lose a lot anyway. It doesn't matter. In May, I'd probably say the same. Yeah, they're playing well, Tara. You know, without them, the pitching has been good. But I mean, there's also something to be said, not just for the fans who won't go to the games anyway, but they will watch it on TV, and, and that's a good point. There's also something to be said in that clubhouse that they have to be wondering, are we going to get some help here? We've lost six games in a row. We're getting pounded. Our starters are not getting into the fifth inning. And let's try something different. They, they tried not taking batting practice the other day. That didn't work. They, got, they, only, get, they only scored a run. Um, so I, I know fans get caught up in that a little bit. Oh, you know, let's get some excitement. Let's get something going. But this is also about the general manager and president and owner supporting your staff on the major league baseball team. When you see a half a dozen guys not getting it done, it's time to make some changes and support the guys that are there. I mean, the baseball players, you know, it's on them, of course, but they got to be looking around at each other going, gosh, like we are the worst team in the national league right now. Are we going to get any help? Is there anything that that we can do to uh, to make us at least feel a little bit better about the situation. And I think that's more of the point. Uh, th- there would be two or three players at the very least, uh, if I-, I would think that they would want to at least make changes with right now. Uh, I-, I don't want to ever say that the team's end game is to get the number one pick in the draft, but if they just keep losing like this and doing nothing with no changes, uh, that just wouldn't sit well with anyone. Yeah, I think... I can't imagine, um, as the, putting myself in, in Derek Jeter's shoes, having never been there before, uh, I can't imagine looking at that whole grand scheme of things and thinking that, that, that doing nothing is really what's going to create the, the best result um, long term. But, you know, there, there's a reason uh, that those people are in their jobs and I'm not. So hopefully sure, they know more me. about it than I do. <laughs> Uh, one thing they have done, um, and also a, a former Cardinal, is we talk about Kyle Bearclaw, who has been uh, pitching out of the bullpen for them, slotted into the closer role. They've had some a bit of a roller coaster there uh, for the Marlins, much like the Cardinals have. In fact, I think I saw on Twitter the other day, you said something to the effect of the, the Marlins Tazawa is basically a Cardinals Greg Holland, which even without context, can't be good (laughs) because the Greg Holland experiment uh, has not been particularly successful. 
Bearclaw, like I said, formerly a Cardinals uh, mm-hmm. prospect, um, does he seem to make sense as uh, the right piece for the Marlins, at least in the back end of the bullpen right now? I, I think he's he's earned the chance. He he did close for them last year and uh, and and fared well for a while. And there was some sentiment that the pressure of that ninth inning may have been a little bit too much for him. They put Brad Ziegler in that role at the end of the year, and Ziegler was fantastic. So uh, Ziegler really earned that role to come back uh, to this year. Nothing will ever get to Brad Ziegler about how well or poor he's pitching. Um, he'll always be there. And I thought, and I still think that, and I know he's had a very tough uh, April and May for sure, um, I still think Ziegler could, would be a good situation if he could get it going for the Cardinals facing off against right-handed hitters with a runner on base, you bring him in, he gets a double play. Now, it hasn't worked out that way this year, and and Cardinal fans will think I'm nuts, but I do think if he is able to turn it around, uh, I I still think the Cardinals will need some bullpen help, and he could be one of them. But in terms of Bearclaw, uh, he'll get his chance to close. He's going to have to prove that he could limit the amount of players that he puts on base. And the other thing that he's going to have to prove is that he can kind of own up to to being a closer in the ninth inning and own up to that pressure because he has melted down in the past a little bit. This year, we've seen no signs of that whatsoever. But sometimes when he puts a guy on, uh, it kind of snowballs from there. And then he'll walk a second guy. He'll walk a third guy. So uh, I I think he can get the job done for the Marlins. I tend to favor – they have another kid named Drew Steckenrider, and I think eventually – if I was to guess, I think he would maybe end up being the closer. I don't know if the Marlins will trade uh, Bearclaw or not. Uh, I personally, on a contending team, would think he'd be a more of a seventh inning or eighth inning guy. For example, uh, if Bud Norris was, uh, for some reason, to go the other way in the second half of the season, I, I, I would probably go for somebody a little bit more experienced in that ninth inning, especially on a team toward the postseason. Um, so I can't really speak to what they're going to do right now with him. He'll be arbitration eligible at the end of the year. He'll get paid a little bit of money. Um, but but clearly, if the Marlins can get Ziegler right, that's the guy that they'd like to trade on July 31st and get something back in return if they can. And I don't know that they will. You mentioned trade possibilities for this team. Obviously, they have those minor league assets that they've been collecting over the course of the offseason. Is there anyone that's really the prime target right now as far as who they would like to move uh, as we get closer and closer to that trade deadline? I would say that if I had to guess at the at the deadline, I would say that they would most like to uh, trade Ziggler if they could, because he's making $9 million, and he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season, and so this is it for him. They would love to either probably get some money back on that deal, they would you know, trade him to just get salary relief or a player. I don't know that that will happen. Tozawa would have been at the top of the list, but we know how that worked out. Wei-Yin Chen is an untradeable player. He'll be stuck on the team next year. Martin Prado making $15 million next year, $13 million. They're stuck with him next year. So you know their payroll is already at $35, $40 million with those two players. Um, the other players would be Dan Straley, starting pitcher, who I think does have some trade value. He didn't have a great start out the last time, but if he can build up his value, I definitely could see them moving him. And then the other player that they would definitely trade, and I think there'll be some interest, is Starling Castro. I think that they'll move him to another team uh, if they can at the deadline, he has a reasonable salary. He's been a good performer this year. He hasn't been fantastic, but he's been good, good enough, I think, to get a return. And JT Romuto will be the hot name at the deadline, but I'm still uncertain as to whether or not they're going to move him now. They cannot mess up that trade for JT Romuto. This is not getting back four guys from an organization and hoping, Tara. They cannot do that. They have to get a bona fide 
number one prospect, superstar, top player, not guys that we're going to see in the minor leagues for two years. Can't be. Yeah, the, you can only make that mistake uh, so many times before uh, it will haunt you for a long time. Um, the other thing that they can do, we're recording this early on Monday, but the draft starts tonight. Uh, the draft, right. obviously a very important part of what the Marlins will do going forward. Obviously, a, a regime change brings in maybe some different philosophies as far as how to go about the draft. You've talked about it. It's not been a secret. The Marlins have not been great as far as the draft is concerned, and then maybe developing those players long term as well. Is there any indication of what the Marlins will focus on as far as this first draft of the, the Derek Jeter and company era? I mean, they're very big on character. I know that, but I, you know, I don't know how that's going to uh, translate to, to good players. Um, you know, I really don't have the answer for that. They've, they've kept the, their director of scouting in place. I don't know how much power he has or doesn't have moving forward. They've done uh, not a poor job. They've done a terrible job in the draft in their first round picks over the last, 10 years they've had like one all-star or two all-stars and that's a crucial part of what the marlins are going to do moving forward they're going to have a top five pick in that draft next year probably number two or number three maybe even number one depending on how things go uh they can't fail at this over and over again to rebuild this team and i kind of maintain even with these trades that they made for the players that they got back in return i don't know what what kind of factor they'll be in two years i think the draft is going to be more critical uh for them but they, they've gone out, they've taken some players in some remote places in the country, uh, New Mexico, uh, they've been very big in like, and nothing against New Mexico or Oklahoma, it's just, you know, those are kind of strange directions to Not go. Not really like the have, baseball well, hotspot. You, <laughs> you have Florida, you have California, like you have the places where, and they always, they've been taking these high school pitchers and they keep getting hurt. Uh, so I would think they'll take a more prepared player. I wouldn't be surprised if they took a college player. It started developing uh, older kids as opposed to taking shots on these 18-year-old kids and you don't know what they're going to do. Uh, and maybe from Derek Jeter's perspective, he wants to be competitive in three years. You're not going to be competitive if you keep taking high school kids. You're going to have to wait even longer, four or five years. So I'm not really sure what kind of philosophy, if any, has changed at this point. This is a results business. and I'm going to have to wait on the results. And boy, the Major League Baseball draft is is such a crapshoot. Anyway, it's uh, it's very difficult to get right. Um, it's also very obvious when you continue to get it wrong. I think so. We'll, I'm sure, all of baseball will be watching to see how Derek Jeter uh, leads in that department and and see if there is a philosophy change at all. So we'll we'll see how that works out. Craig, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. The last question I have for you, though, as the fantasy expert, I know a lot of people who listen and watch this are also big into fantasy baseball. So if you had one uh, one little nugget of fantasy advice for this week, whether it pertains to the Cardinals and the Marlins or not, what would it be? Yeah, well, I mean, look, th- this week you're looking at uh, mostly all the teams are are not playing today because of the draft. They only have a few games at night. But I think it's really interesting, uh, all of the injuries, Tara, that have piled up. Uh, we didn't have that. We were kind of clean on that for people who did fantasy baseball or played fantasy baseball in the month of April and May. But over the past week, we've seen Clayton Kershaw go down. We've seen Mookie Betts go down, Josh Donaldson, Brandon Belt. And now we're going to see what happens with J.D. Martinez, who left the game last night with a lower back injury. So this is the kind of week that if you have players who are hurt or you have to place them on the disabled list, you have to hit the waiver wire and look to pick up some players who are sitting out there 
there was a Cardinal who I picked up this past week in Harrison Bader. It seems like he could be in line for some more playing time. Uh, right by now, I'm guessing Austin Meadows on the Pirates is owned in virtually every league, but he's off to a really good start. Also, another player in the same division, Jesus Aguilar, seems to be playing first base at a very high level for the Brewers. So uh, you can't sit and wait on these injuries anymore. These teams sometimes will wait four or five days to place guys on the DL like the Red Sox did with Mookie Betts. But Boston's situation is tenuous right now to see what happens with uh, Betts and J.D. Martinez. And I think in some deeper leagues, even though I don't know that he has much to give at the end of his career, at some point, Hanley Ramirez is going to sign with somebody this week. And he'll probably end up playing a little bit at first base. Maybe the Giants take a shot on him with belt on the DL. There you go. There's your fantasy advice from Craig Mish. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know that Cardinals fans have appreciated your work over the last couple of years, especially over this last offseason and following Alex Reyes. So thank you for your time. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate everybody's support. I check uh, all the messages on uh, on Twitter and the notifications and all that. And uh, definitely, if I can uh, pay it back or pay it forward by just covering this team and at least giving my thoughts, I'll continue to do it. Thanks for having me, Tara. So the Marlins come into St. Louis with a 20-39 and 39 record. That's the worst in the National League. The Cardinals, on the other hand, are 32-25, and 25, and they're returning nearly to full strength in getting Carlos Martinez and Yadier Molina back to start the series. Now, Martinez does get the start on Tuesday, and he'll be trying to follow up an absolute gem by Michael Waka in the Cardinals' last game on Sunday to close out the series with the Pirates. But don't be surprised if Martinez is a little less than vintage Carlos Martinez. He's a guy that is at his best when he's really on routine, and he certainly isn't that right now. So Carlos Martinez coming back for the first start since May 5th will take on Jose Urania, who is one of only two Marlins starters to make more than 10 starts so far. And in the process, he's given up the most runs of any Marlins starters. Game two will be Wei-Yin Chen versus Jack Flaherty. Chen only went an inning and two-thirds in his last start at San Diego. Flaherty has started for the Cardinals six times this year and given up three earned runs twice, but has a .90 whip for the month of May. Not too shabby. In Game 3, it'll be Eliezer Hernandez versus Miles Michaelis. Hernandez, also following the worst start of his career, going just three innings and giving up five earned runs, with some command issues, to say the least. Michaelis is coming off of his first loss of the year, but he still carries a 2.49 ERA and has walked eight while striking out 53. Also not too shabby. So the Cardinals and the Marlins, as the Cardinals kick off a week where they should be able to maybe gain some ground on their NL Central opponents as this NLC battle continues right through the All-Star break, maybe all the way through the end of the season. Again, thank you to Craig Mish for joining me today. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I'm imagining you will just based on your pure love of Craig Mish. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, which you probably already are, and check out his radio show as well. Send him your tweets. Tell him what you thought of this preview. Hopefully it's all good things. If not, just don't bother telling him. Follow me. Follow Birds on the Black. I'll see you next time. I'm Tara Wellman.